Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Fathers are interesting people. They have to come up with the right word at the right time. I had a friend who used to work in, a, um, in an IGA, <clears throat> big one that had uh, fruit and vegetable department. And um, one day, uh, he was a little bit cranky. Sometimes dads can be a little bit cranky. Not often, but just occasionally. <laughs> this day, he was a little cranky, and a woman came in and said, I want an old lady, I want, want to buy half a lettuce, she said. He said, we don't have half lettuces. He says, says, well, that's what I want to buy. I want to buy half a lettuce. He said, listen, I don't care. We, we don't have half lettuce. Well, now she uh, gets a bit cross, and she said, well, then I demand to speak to the manager. I demand that you at least go and ask the manager if I can have half a lettuce. So he walks in through those flaps that they have there, walks out the back, finds the manager sitting at his desk, and he says, there's this cranky old biddy out the back who wants to buy half a lettuce. Turns around to find the woman has followed him right through the back and standing right behind him. He thinks for half a second and says, and this beautiful old lady would like to buy the other half. You've got, to, you've got to come up with the right word at the right time because that's, that's one of the great challenges of being a dad. I want to talk to you about one of the most significant principles I have ever kind of um, engaged with in, the, in all of God's wisdom in the Bible. And it relates to your dad. There are lots of dads in the Bible. One of the most interesting dads in the Bible is Noah because... At the end of Noah's life, everybody else was dead. I mean, if, if Noah wasn't your dad, you were toast. <laughs> and you're going to ask yourself, well, you know, how come he just, just eight of them, and Noah had three sons, and they had three wives, and he's got a wife of his own. And all of these people survive because dad, for some reason, gets chosen by God to build an ark. Now, why would God pick, pick this father? Why, why not one of the other dads? Well, the Bible says so. This is why Noah got picked out of all the people, all the dads in the world. This is the account of Noah and his family. Now, Noah was a good man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. That's good. That's pretty good. That's a good dad right there. You say, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and say, Dad, I'm so glad to have you for my dad. Because if I didn't have you for my dad, I'd be dead. You are a wonderful man. Dad, we love you. Oh, yeah, Dad. Anything you want. Must have been brilliant for these young men growing up in such a blessed household. Question. If Dad was so good, and he's the only one who gets chosen out of all the dads on the face of the earth, if he's so good, how come in just a couple of chapters down the Bible, one of these kids, these lovely, very lucky boys ends up being cursed. <laughs> Read your Bible. Answers to difficult questions found in the Bible. Well, this is, this is why one of these three boys got cursed. The Bible says, Now Noah was a man of the soil, and he proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two boys outside. <laughs> oh boy, dad's lying around in the nutty boys. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders and they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father naked. And when Noah awoke from his wine 
and found out what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. So why did this young man end up being cursed? Well, the answer is because his father was a bad man. It's a bad man that gets so drunk he doesn't know if his clothes are on or off. And you, you see, that's a paradox, that your dad can be such a good man that the only reason you survive is because of him. And yet, he's got enough weaknesses in him that the only reason you get cursed is because of him. But did you notice it wasn't Noah who got cursed? When Noah uh, kind of let his weaknesses hang out, it caused one of his sons to stumble. But did you notice it wasn't Noah who got cursed, it was his son, because he didn't handle the imperfections in his dad appropriately, and it cost him everything. Could be quite dangerous if you don't have a perfect dad because there's just a chance that you might bump into one of those irregularities one day and not know how to handle that. Now, if that's the only time it ever happened in the Bible, you wouldn't call it a principle. You'd just say, well, that's an interesting experience. But it happens more than once in the Bible. One of the other dads that's an amazing man is King David. <laughs> the man the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. And in one whole book of the Bible... One of the subplots is what you could call the paradox of having a good dad and a bad dad in the same person. In fact, if you come to uh, the issue of 2 Samuel, there you encounter chapter after chapter. You watch this story unfold. Now, in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, David hears that King Saul, who's been trying to murder him for years, has finally been killed on a battlefield. Now, what does he do? Does he jump all over his grave? Woohoo! Woohoo! The wicked king is dead. No, no, he doesn't do that. Because, see, David's a good man after God's own heart. He writes a lament, How are the mighty fallen? And he honors a fallen king who's been trying to murder him. It's a good man can do that. In the second chapter, the tribe of Judah come to David and say, David, you're such a good man, you should be our king. And they appoint David king over the tribe of Judah. In chapter 3, David starts having his family. It's a little different than the average family because he's got six wives. But what a man he is. Every one of these wives starts popping out a son, a firstborn son like peas. Six wives, six firstborn sons. No, wife number one produces son num number one. His name is Amnon. Wife number three produces son number one. His name is Absalom. And these boys are growing up in the house of a national hero. In chapter 4... David finds out uh, who it was that murdered Saul's son, and he deals with him. In chapter 5, the whole nation comes to David and says, David, you shouldn't just be king over one tribe, you should be king over the whole nation. And David is crowned king over the whole of Israel. In chapter 6, David finally captures Jerusalem and brings in the Ark of the Covenant and sets it up as the capital city, the place of worship for the first time in history. Chapter 7, God comes to David and says, Davy, you're such a good man, I'll make a promise to you. There is going to be a king come out of you that will reign over Israel forever, and that's Jesus, the one we call the son of David. That's one of his titles. Gee, David's a really good man. In chapter 8, Davy has one victory after another. In chapter 9, um, he discovers that Saul's crippled offspring, Mephibosheth, is still alive. Does he kill him? Get rid of the dude? E -e -e -e. Oh, no. Good man. Brings him to his table, treats him like one of his own sons. And in chapter 10, David defeats the Ammonites. Is there nothing this good dude cannot do? What an amazing man. 
Chapter 11 is a bad day in the office. Spots a neighbor's wife having a bath, invites her over for a game of chess. <laughs> Turns into a very vigorous game of chess, she ends up being pregnant. How do you fix that? You bring home the woman's husband. He'll sleep with her, no one will ever figure out whose kid this is. But here is a man so loyal to his king and his men, he won't have one night with his wife while men under his command are risking their lives on a battlefield. He sleeps on David's doorstep. How do you repay a dude for that kind of loyalty? You murder the guy. And you'd have to say that murder and adultery is a bad day in the office for the average man. Chapter 12, Nathan the prophet of Israel comes and puts his bony finger right in his face and says, you sir are a bad man. It's a bad man that commits adultery and murder. What a paradox. You've got the man after God's own heart who wrote half the Psalms in the Bible, but he's known to this day as an adulterer and a murderer. What a paradox. But watch it spill over into his family. Watch the kids now have to figure out how to deal with dad's inconsistency. Chapter 13, his eldest son, Amnon, gets the hots for his half-sister Tamar, drags the girl into his bed and rapes her. What's daddy going to do about that? Well, it's very hard for daddy to do anything about that when he's just been exposed as an adulterer and a murderer himself. Daddy does nothing. But the girl has a big brother. His name is Absalom. He waits for two years for daddy to figure out the family crisis. And when daddy doesn't act, he finally figures it out for himself. He murders his brother and skips town. One dead son. He's now waiting for a phone call from dad that never seems to come. Eventually he gets angry and starts agitating amongst his father's friends to be allowed to come back to Jerusalem. David lets him come back, but he still doesn't make that phone call and sort out the crisis in an angry boy's heart. Years down the track, this kid starts burning things down, trying to get attention, but it's too late now. In chapter 15, he's standing, you see this same boy angry at his father standing in the gates of the city, saying to anyone who will listen, would that I was king in Israel. Chapter 16, he goes after his father's throat. Chapter 17 and 18, the entire nation is in civil war. As that young man tries to wipe out his dad. And in chapter 18, that same young man is hanging by his hair from a tree. And three javelins are sticking out of his chest. And his father is in an upstairs room crying his heart out. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Would that I could have died for you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. What is that? It's a paradox. Growing up in the home of an imperfect dad who has blessed you and given you a stumbling block at the same time. How do you relate to that? What do you do about that? Did you notice it's not David who's cursed? David's not dead. But two of his sons are having responded inappropriately to his father's inconsistencies. You've got to figure this out. It's one of the great principles that will impact the way you do the rest of your life. What happens when you bump into inconsistencies? You know, parents are a real paradox. And you have to learn to handle it. Because sometimes they do you good, sometimes they make a problem for you. And we are such relationship-oriented beings that the behavior and the values of our parents will mark us. If you've ever watched the way a child learns to speak, you know, having language is a brilliant thing. Um, babies aren't born with any. 
well, there must be a big government department somewhere that kind of takes all these babies and teaches them how to kind of talk. But that's not how it happens, is it? You don't take kids off to school with textbooks and qualified teachers. All you do is put a baby in a crib and stick it in a household. And we are so created in the image of a face-to-face -face God. God has woven mirror neurons into these brains and we watch and we listen so intently. And we are building our picture of life from what we see and experience in our family of origin. It's marking us every day for good and it's marking us for harm. And then within a few months you hear the miracle. Kids just lying there. Uncle Harry comes in. How do a kid ever figure out what that means? <laughs> but they do. Months down the track, you hear it. Mama, Dada, no. <laughs> Who taught that kid to say no? Oh, no one had to teach him, mate. He's just been hanging around with you. The fact is, we are so marked by the good stuff in our parents and we are so marked by the deficiencies in our parents that someone ought to give us a few clues about how do you handle that? What do you do with that? Because the reality is this, it does mark us. You know, healthcare professionals, when they're trying to help people untangle the struggles they have with, with, in, in life, will almost universally go straight to a genome and try to understand your family of origin. If I'm going to understand you, I want to understand where you were brought up. I want to hear the stories. I want to try to understand what are the big building blocks that have created who you are. Yeah. Professionals who are counselling people can see the fingerprints of parents' involvement in career choice, in who you marry, in why you marry, if you marry, your ability to stay married, the way you do marriage. Yeah, your ability to express intimacy or have problems with that, the struggles you had with intimacy, how you parent, how you relate to people in general, the issues you have with identity and self-esteem, your propensity to alcoholism, to drug abuse, to sexual abuse, to obesity, to anorexia, to frigidity, promiscuity, to homicidal rage, your impotent passivity. In every area of your life, a competent healthcare professional will begin to trace the marks of your generation and God knew that that would be true. God knew that you were going to need some help to sort that out. You were going to need some help to know how to respond to that appropriately. God also knew a second thing, that not all of the uh, imperfect people lived at your house. They live at everybody else's house too. And one day you'll go and work for one of them. One day you'll marry one of them, an imperfect person. People say, Al, did you marry your perfect match? How would that be possible? I'm so weird. There is no perfect match. There's no perfect match. Um, just a woman came out of an interesting background like I did, and now we're making the most out of what we have. There's no perfect matches. God knew that everywhere you went, you were going to be bumping into people that would, do a, would bless you one day and put a stumbling block in front of you another way. And he knew that if you were going to get married, you'd have to figure out how to live with an imperfect person. He knew that if you were going to hold a job for any length of time, you'd have to learn how to work for an imperfect person or with imperfect people. God knew that if you're ever going to hang out in a church for any length of time, you'd have to be able to go to a home group with an imperfect leader. You'd have to be able to receive messages from imperfect preachers. God knew if you're ever going to hang out in a, in a 
our neighbourhood for any length of time, you have to learn to live with imperfect neighbours. I mean, what, how do you think life works, mate? It, the reality is that imperfect people are everywhere. They bump into you everywhere. And as a result, um, God has something he wants to say to you. He wants to give you a skill that you could carry with you every day of your life because he wants you to prosper. God wants you to succeed. He didn't bring you into the world to be a bad example. He brought you into the world. And as a result, you've got to ask God, well, what, what do you want to say to me, Lord? What's, what's the clue? What, what should that young man have done with Noah? What should that young man have done with his father's input? How should God give me a word? Help me. Give me the skill. I'm going to do it. And if you're going to ask that often, I will. It's a wonderful thing. God has something to say to you. Comes right out of the Bible. It'd be brilliant, you know, if you've had a little white card, you might want to take it out and write this down because you can put it in your pocket. If you ever bump into an imperfect person, pull it out. Ooh, look at that. Yep, that, that, that'll do it. <laughs> Funny thing is that when I tell you this verse, you may know it already. Um, and then you'll be disappointed. So, oh, it didn't help me last week. How's it going to help me next week? Well, this is amazing. Come on, let, 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 me, let me give you this brilliant insight that comes straight from heaven as to how to relate to imperfect people. And it starts with your mum and dad. If you could learn to relate to an imperfect father, you'd have a skill you could go, you could carry anywhere in life. And here it comes, out of the house, out of the house of God, out of the throne room of heaven, the word from the Lord. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. You're going to love this. You shall honour your father and your mother. I do not hear a ripple of wonder flowing across this auditorium. <laughs> Dang me. Fair dinkum. Just when I thought the dude was going to say something useful, he comes out, he comes out with that nonsense. Honey, your mother and your father. Honey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a mother and father. You know why God's always sticking up for old people? It's because he's the ancient of days himself, that's why. <laughs> Stick up for the old people, you know. Don't rock the boat. Pretend your mum and dad are perfect. Yeah, poor old Ham come home, find his dad lying in the nutty. He should have done a Sergeant Schultz. I say nothing, I say nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know the big mistake he made? He noticed. <laughs> Shouldn't have noticed. No, no, no. Yeah, God wants you on your mum and dad. He wants you to pretend they're perfect. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to pretend, oh, there's no problem here. Oh, no, no, move on, move on. Nothing to see here. Yeah, if I told my mum and dad all the mistakes they'd made in raising me, they wouldn't be able to sleep at night. If I told me mum and dad all the ways they'd wounded my personality, they'd be slashing their wrists. That's what they'd be doing. Yeah, honour your father and your mother. Hang on. The Bible doesn't say honour your father and your mother so your mum and dad can sleep at night. And the Bible doesn't say honour your father and your mother so they can feel good about their parenting skills. It's not what it says. The Bible says honour your father and your mother that it may be well with you. God is concerned for you. He wants life to work for you. And he knows if you never learn how to do this, You'll, you'll be banging your head against a concrete wall everywhere you go, bumping into imperfect people, and you never learn the skill to handle those moments appropriately, and it'll be a very expensive and difficult life for you. It's got to start with your dad. Got to start with your dad. You see, 
You say, oh, I don't get it. I mean, if God doesn't want me to pretend my mum and dad are perfect, what am I supposed to do? Well, here's the deal. That word honour, it's a word kabed. And this is what it means. It means to let something be as heavy and as significant as it really is. But it's not just used positively. God is not saying, I want you to pretend your mum and dad were just perfect people. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, this, is, this word kabed is used both positively and negatively. God is saying, when it comes to relating to imperfect mum and dad, I want you, first of all, to learn to let all the good stuff be as good and as heavy and as significant as it really is. Because this is what we do when we're hurt, when we're upset. When we get upset with someone, we just wipe off all the good stuff. Ah, oh, that doesn't count. So what if my dad went to work every day and put food on the table and put a roof over her head? Yeah, but he was nasty to me. I don't like my dad. Well, you don't get to cross off all that good stuff. God says, no, no, see, if you do that, when you get married, you'll do the same thing. The moment you get hurt, you cross off all the good stuff. You count as if it doesn't happen. You'll go into a workplace. As soon as you get hurt, they cross off all the good stuff. Wait, they're paying your salary. They're paying off your car. They're putting food on your table. Don't, don't be that way. There's good stuff here. Let it be as significant as it is. But when we're hurt, we don't do that. When we're hurt, we have a tendency to just wipe all that stuff off. And God says, no, no, uh-uh, you've got to learn a skill. The skill you have to learn is this. When you're relating to an imperfect person, you've got to let the good stuff be as good as it really is. And you've got to add to that a skill called gratitude. See, one of the reasons people don't worship much is because they're not very grateful. God didn't answer my prayer. So I cross all the goods off. So what if Jesus died on the cross? So what if my sins are forgiven, I have the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting? I didn't get my prayer answered yesterday. Yeah. And now I cross off all the good stuff. And I, I, I come to church and say, oh, I can't worship, I'm too hurt. It's because you've never learned in a contradictory situation to let the good stuff still be good. Because yeah. if the good stuff is still good, there's a lot to be grateful for, and that once you begin to move in gratitude, it changes your whole perspective on a human life. Now, there's a flip side. Yeah, what about the bad stuff, Al? Well, God wants you to honor that too. He wants you to let it be as bad as it really was. Because here's the thing, if you don't let it be as bad as it was and as unhelpful as it was, you are doomed to repeating it because it has marked your life. And if you don't allow, if you don't, you know, process this stuff, that there were moments in my relating to either my mum or my dad, and tonight I'm focusing on dad. There was stuff in my mum or my dad, and, and, and it was not helpful. It damaged my life. Well, let it be as bad as it is. And in that situation, you've got to learn to take bad stuff to Jesus. You've got to learn to take it to the throne of God. You've got to learn to do absolute and total forgiveness. It's a skill to be learned. Forgiving people that hurt you is one of the great skills of life. It allows you to stay married till you die. It, it allows you to have friends that never fail. It allows you to attend an imperfect church and love every minute of it. Because you've learned to forgive totally the weirdness in other people because you know what? <clears throat> You've got a little bit of your own. Everybody's got to forgive you too, you know. Yeah. Everybody's got to deal with your weirdness. You're not perfect either. Let it be as bad as it is. And add to that the miracle skill of genuine forgiveness. 
And you've got to learn it somewhere. And God says, if you'll start learning it with your mum and dad, you'll carry it into every relationship in your life. But if you never learn it there, I watched it with my brothers. I watched them stick their fists up to my dad and then leave home. I watched the pain and the, and the devastation. And eventually one of my brothers died and the other one went back home decades later and went back and lived with mum and dad to pick up his fallen axe head and repair a broken relationship that came from years before. And he's doing great. Now, I know for some people sitting in this auditorium today, what I just said is not that hard to do because your mum and dad are really good, and that'd be like where I am. There'll be one or two people sitting here tonight, and maybe more, who say, oh, that's okay for you, Mel, but you have no idea the size of the hill that I've got to climb. You see, sometimes people have been raised with a parent who was absent or neglectful, and it really damaged their life. Every now and then you've been you find someone who's raised with a very flawed parent. My wife is in that category. I watch, the, the, I watch the damage that's been done to her heart to this day, this very day. Because she was raised in an environment where her mum got sick when she was four and died when she was eight and her dad became a functioning alcoholic and then married a woman with mental health issues. And right through those de the decade of that, up to the time she was 17, she was living in this crazy, difficult environment and it's marked her heart. She's got a bigger hill to climb than me. What are you going to say to her, Al? And every now and then you'll find someone who was raised with a downright abusive or even an evil parent. What are you going to say to them, Al? Exactly the same thing. See, the rules don't change. You don't get to say, oh, you don't understand my life. The Bible speaks to everybody's life. It doesn't matter who you are. I understand your hill, your hill is higher than mine. And you may need help to climb it, but it's exactly the same hill. You don't get to climb a different hill. You don't get to miss this hill because it's a higher one for you. You just need to be loved more and you need to be coached more and helped more. But you've got to climb that hill. You've got to honour even, an, even a, a, a flawed or even evil parent. Well, how am I supposed to do that, Al? How do I do There's nothing good in my parents, not one thing. Well, yes, there is actually. I don't care how bad they were. I'll tell you one good thing. And that's you. That's you. You only exist because of them. And it may well be you've already survived the worst that life can ever throw at one and you're, already, you're out the other side. You've, you've survived it. Good on you. You've made it. And all that lies in front of you is the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. And because you are alive, the grace of God has come to you. Because you're alive, you have a destiny and a future. The best is yet to come and the worst is behind you. Listen to what Dallas Willard has to say to those who perhaps think that their life was so hard they've got nothing to be thankful for. He said this, if you do not deeply appreciate the heaviness or the weight of the fact that your parents gave you the gift of life, you are condemned to despising yourself, for you are the life they generated. If you never press through your disrespect or rejection of your parents and who they are, there will be a similar disrespect for yourself. A long and healthy existence rooted deep in the soul requires that at some level we be grateful to God for who they are, not necessarily for all the things that they have done. And if that's you tonight, tonight could be an opportunity for you to say to God, thank you, I get it. I, I had a bad background. But from this day, I'm going to say to you, I'm grateful for the life they gave me. And I'm going to begin to honor the life you gave me, even if I can't be thankful for all of the things they ever did. It'll change your entire perspective on who you are and how you do the rest of your life. Now, I want to finish by saying this. I'm amongst those group of people that, thankfully, 
didn't have that big a hill to climb. My mum and dad were wonderful people. My mum was nearly perfect. Mums are like that. See, Mother's Day, they get better presents because they don't cause so much trouble most of the time. <laughs> dad gets done, often don't get such good presents because they're a bit problematic. I understand that because I am one. The reality is that often when you're dealing with things, it's, it's, you, it's, it's often there's more to deal with on dad's side than there is on mum's side. And the reality is that my mum was nearly perfect. She was a wonderful woman. My dad was amazing, a wonderful man. But there were two issues in his life that damaged mine. The first issue was his silence. Every now and then, if my dad got disappointed with me, he never coached me. He would just withdraw. The first time I ever saw it, and the fact that I can even tell you about it, demonstrates that it marked me. Four years old, we build a kite. Great fun. Outside, build a kite. Dad and I build a kite. We go fly it in the park. It's fun. Dad goes off to school. Oh, don't start playing yet, because then I can't think. I, I'm, I'm, I promise you, I'm not going to say a lot more. And don't go away, because you're a beautiful person. Um, <laughs> I don't want you to go away, but just if you play now, I'll, I won't be able to think. So I've, I've got a fairly small mind, and I can't cope with you. <laughs> so, no. thank, thank you. I'll, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you a single a minute, and you can do it. Well, I'm nearly there. We took the kite um, play, and flew it, and it was wonderful. And then Dad went to school, and I'm home four years old, and, and I want to fly the kite. And so I, I, off I go across, to, across the road into the park, and I can still remember it. I can picture the day in my mind. The sky is black, and the clouds are scudding across the sky, and the wind's roaring through the gum trees. Anyone knows you don't fly a kite in this kind of weather. But I tried, and I wrecked the kite. And when Dad came home and he saw the kite was wrecked and all the string was tangled, this sad look came over his face. He never said a word. We never fixed the kite and we never flew it again. It's just like withdrew. Now, let me tell you an amazing thing. I shared this story with my staff some years ago. One of my staff came up to me at the end of it and said, Al, do you realise you do that to us? I said, what? He said, the silent stuff. You see, you don't yell at people. That's not how you do stuff. You don't go yelling at people if they don't get You just go quiet and look at the carpet. I said, I don't do that. No, he said, honestly, you do. Can you imagine that? I had never really processed that. I just shared the story. And my staff say, Al, that has marked you. And we, we, we're living with that to this very day. Wow. I had failed to let it be as bad and as unhelpful it was and really processed that through. And now I'm just repeating it because it marked my life. Second thing my dad might do is blow up in my face. And the worst thrashing I ever got from my dad was for buying a bicycle tube. I had my own bike, earned my own money, got a flat tire, bought a bicycle tube. When my dad heard I'd bought a bike tube instead of fixing the old one, he tore a branch off a tree and thrashed the daylights out of me. 14 years old. And it damaged my relationship with him. I kind of drew back. I thought, you are, you are nuts. I wasn't smoking the tube, Dad. Like, it's not margarine, Dad, it's a bicycle tube, which I bought with my own money. But it damaged me, and I kind of drew back. I thought, I could never have figured out, buy a bicycle tube, get the worst thrashing in your life. And as a result, I, don't think, I, I didn't relate closer to my father until years down the track. 35 years old, I'm now in full-time ministry. I had a woman in my office one day, and as she's telling me the story about her family, it seemed like not one good thing she had to say. And I said to her, did nothing good ever happen in your family? Tell me, have you ever done a treasure hunt on your dad? Have you ever sat down and tried to think of all the good stuff that came into your life through your dad? And when we started to put it on the paper, and the more she thought of, the bigger the list got. Right. 
By the time she left, she had a totally different view of her. She'd wiped all that off. And when she left, I realized I'd never done that with my own dad. And that afternoon, I sat down and I wrote my dad a letter. My dad loved my mum. My dad was as faithful and true as a man could be. My, my dad was a believer. He taught us the Bible. He taught us to worship. He gave us a safe and wonderful home when he wasn't blown up in our face. The occasion, a few occasions he'd do that. The more I wrote down about my dad, the more I fell in love with my dad. And that afternoon, I wrote him a letter. I wrote all the good stuff. And the very last thing I said at the bottom, was I said, Dad, whatever stability I have in my life, I owe that to you. And I sent it off to my dad. My mum says when, she, when he got the letter, he'd been in a bad mood for three days and it just brightened him up. He just loved it. He wanted to go down the street and buy a picture frame and hang it up in the kitchen because I was on church letterhead paper. It was like a, <laughs> kind of like a note from God, you know. And she said, oh, Roger, you can't do that. But he never mentioned that letter to me. It didn't make an ounce of difference because I had let the good stuff be as good as it really was. I fell in love with my dad. And every time I met him from that time, I'd put my arms around him. And I'd kiss him right in the face. He didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> my dad was like a little telephone pole. <laughs> Last two things and then you can start to play. <laughs> then we're done. Have you ever done a treasure hunt on your dad? Have you ever really let all the good stuff be good? Have you ever written it down until you see what's there? Because I want to tell you what, it'll expand your heart. It'll make you love someone because you may have crossed some of that off because there was things that happened. Last thing that, that I did, two things that really helped me to love my dad more fully. Firstly, my wife said to me, take your dad back to his hometown. Get him to tell you all his family stories. And we did. Took me back to the little um, school where he'd grown up as a kid. Told me about how he used to put Sheep droppings in paper bags take them to school to tell the kids they were aniseed balls. <laughs> I understood where some of my naughtiness came from that time. He showed me a dam where one of his friends had drowned. And for the first time, I understood why Dad was always freaking out when we wanted to go down the river. He couldn't handle it. He showed me a little white house where his mother had raised nine children virtually as a single parent. He showed me where, as a child, he used to uh, herd cows to bring them in for milking He'd get paid a penny a week and he'd take that penny home and put it right in his mother's hand. For the first time, I understood that belting I got when I was 14 years old. See, I grew up at a time where a kid could have a job, spend his money on himself. My dad grew up in a time where a mum is trying to raise nine kids in a single parent family and every penny goes into mum's hand and one day he saw me buy a, a bicycle tube instead of fixing the old one and I pressed a fear button in my dad's heart and he acted inappropriately. I could have done a number on that. I could have said to my dad, well, dad, today the spirit of the Lord's revealed something to me. The spirit of the Lord's revealed how a demon of poverty leapt upon your life. And as a result, you tormented me as a child. Nearly killed me. But today the spirit of the Lord is flowing through my soul. So today I want to let you know, I yield to you amazing grace. I forgive you for all the sins and iniquities with which you've ever offended me. Didn't have to do any of that. Just had to realize my dad had a different life to me and sometimes I never understood that. And my dad was wired differently for me and he can only be who he is, not who I wanted him to be. As we come to the end of this tonight, I just want to simply say to you, it's coming up Father's Day. 
I know that men are more problematic often in their kids' lives. You can play now. <laughs> They're often more problematic in kids' lives than mums are. Take a moment over these next few days to do a treasure hunt on your dad. Think about his family of origin. Try to even ask him questions you've never asked before. Dad, tell us. You got puzzling moments that you've never understood? Tell him about it. See if, see if you maybe get some insight to your dad that could help you to just appreciate him and love him more deeply so that it's not an effort of the will. It just flows straight out of your heart. For hear the word of the Lord tonight. If you will honor your father and your mother, if you will learn to let the good stuff be as good as it is and add to that gratitude, if you'll let the bad stuff be as bad as it is and add to that genuine forgiveness, the word of the Lord to you is this. Honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Father, I lift my hands over this people tonight and I thank you for them. I pray amazing grace over this household. I pray amazing grace over this community of faith. I pray for everyone who has a struggle with their dad tonight to allow the Spirit of the Lord to draw near and breathe upon your heart because there's nothing more wonderful than reconciliation, nothing more wonderful than love. May the Word of the Lord abound in you and may God do some great things in you and your household from this day and even forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.